Philippians chapter 3. You know, as, as Christianity was getting established in the very beginning, right after the time of Jesus, in the very beginning, and it was getting established throughout the Roman Empire through the different missionary uh, journeys that the disciples were going on, it was met often with resistance. I mean, obviously, Jesus was met with resistance uh, in Jerusalem where he was crucified. I would call that resistance. But even as the churches began to get established and placed in all these different towns and villages throughout the empire, there would be different uh, things that would kind of come up and push against the, 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 the establishment of Christianity. Um, not only was there the Jewish rejection of Jesus as their Messiah, but there were also many other groups that would push back as well. I mean, think about what it would be like if, if uh, you heard today that there's someone that has appeared on the scene somewhere that's establishing a new religion, right? You'd be skeptical at best, right? Um, you'd think, okay, that's crazy. There, there can't be some other new religion. It, it seems ridiculous. I mean, that's exactly what happened in the 1800s with Joseph Smith and the Mormon church. It's like, this is now this new, this new thing of faith. And I think that that's actually one of the reasons it, it wouldn't have been any different in the first century. That's one of the reasons that Jesus appeared with signs and wonders for the people. It was, it was God adding credibility to the, the, the message that Jesus was bringing. And as Jesus came onto the scene, there were certain times when he would do these signs and these miracles to say, yes, God is with me. God is the one who has established me and is pushing me into the world. Here's some things that add to the credibility of that. Okay. Um, and the, the citizens of Greece, like those in Philippi, the, the, the letter that we're studying here, they had heard about lots of gods. In fact, if you go back into the Greek empire, the, the Romans and the Greeks, all that Greek mythology, uh, the Zeus and Apollo and Hermes and all these, these mythological beasts and Hercules and the Hydra and all those stories, they had known all of that. They had heard all of that at this time. They knew all about these, these gods. And this mythology had been developed through their culture for centuries. And they knew all these different stories of people, humans, trying to reach the gods, to make it to Mount Olympus, to somehow get the attention of the gods with their good deeds or their, their brave endeavors, to get the, the attention of the gods by their virtue or their skill or their beauty or their creativity. They, they understood all of that. They knew what it was to try to reach the heavens. But when Christianity came onto the scene... It was a very different message that was being brought to these people. It was no longer, hey, if you do this, then you might someday become a superhero that can reach the heavens and we'll put you on our buildings. No, that wasn't the case at all. The path to God and it is different in Christianity. It's not about humanity trying to reach up to heaven. It's about God reaching down to earth in the person of Jesus. Right? So it's a very different message that we bring. We're not saved by our hard work or by our, even our deep virtue. We're saved by the grace of God. It was very different than what the, the Greek mindset had heard. And Paul, as he's establishing these churches, in, in many cases, he's the first person to ever mention the name of Jesus into these villages that he would go to. And when he comes and, and meets and establishes a, a church, 
This is the first time anyone's heard any of this stuff. There are no Bibles. There are no, you know, Christian songs that everybody knows. There's no churches on the corners. This has never, ever been spoken. And so oftentimes, Paul would have to defend himself against those who would try to steer the churches onto some other path. And sometimes, as we're going to see here today, he would have to present a little of his resume to kind of silence the, the detractors. Um, but he would never let that distract him from his real passion. And his real passion was calling people to know Jesus more. He was calling them, as I've kind of laid this out here today, calling them onward and calling them upward. All right, so let's begin here with reading chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, and, and this is Paul, this is a fake finally. Okay, it's not really finally. The book's not over. <laughs> you know how we do that sometimes. He, sometimes. He's not really done quite yet. But he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Now, the first thing I want you to see here before we go any farther is the context of this is he wants you to be able to rejoice. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have, as we talked about last week, abundant life. And he tells us how that's going to happen. It's going to happen in the Lord. Our rejoicing is supposed to come from our relationship, our connection, our knowledge of God. And, and what he has done and is doing in our lives. That's where rejoicing really comes from. That's that lasting joy. That's that lasting peace. The, the things that rise above the circumstances. The hard stuff that happens in life. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every morning just happy. Oh, it's a brand new day. This is wonderful. Woo! I have some of those days. Some of you never have had one of those days. <laughs> but others of you, you're kind of like, well, yeah, that's how I usually feel. Every morning, it's good. Right? But what he's saying is you can. You should be able to, even if you wake up and you're like, oh, I've got all these things to do. I've got to face this today. He says you can still rejoice. Why? Because you're in the Lord. And there's good coming ultimately. You can have the, the peace, you can have the joy, and you can rejoice in the Lord. That is the reason we have hope. That's the reason we move forward. That's the reason, like we saw last week, where we leave the grumbling and the division behind. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Our joy and our rejoicing is found in Jesus. And all other sources are incomplete and temporary, and we need the reminder and that's why he says here, he says, look, for me to tell you this again, I've already told it to you before, but I'm going to tell you and I'm going to keep on telling you, it's not a big deal. For me, it's okay. It's no problem. And for you, it adds to your safety. I know some of you uh, have, have spent, maybe for work, you spent a lot of time on airplanes and you've traveled a lot. And even if you haven't traveled that much, um, when you get on an airplane, there's a list of things that the flight attendants have to read to you, the safety instructions. And for some of you, you've heard it so many times, you could pretty much quote it. You know, in case of an emergency, a mask will fall from the compartment in front of you, and please pick that up and make sure to attach that mask to your face before assisting those who are in need, right? And they go through that whole thing. The buckle, the, you'll find a buckle attached here, lift the lever and, you know, all the stuff. And they go through that route, the same routine over and over and over. And for those of you who travel a lot, it's like, this is second nature. This is where I, I don't want to know that the safety card is in the seat back pocket in front of me <laughs> and all that process. But the point is, the reason they do it, the reason the FAA tells every domestic flight you have to go through the list, it's for safety. 
It's so that people would know subconsciously, hopefully, in a, the, the middle of a, a hard place, they just go through what they know they're supposed to do because they've heard it so many times. That's what Paul says here. He says, I'm going to tell you to rejoice and how to rejoice. And I'm going to tell it to you over and over and over again so that it sinks in. It's safe for you. Guys, as a pastor, most of the things I tell you, I tell you over and over and over and over and over. And even me, the one who's saying that, I still need to hear it over and over and over. It's the same thing with kids a lot of times. It's like as a parent, you're like, I've already said that 15 times today. <laughs> and I'm going to say it 15 times tomorrow. And I'm going to keep doing it. Why? Because we need the repetition. We meet, need the reminder. We constantly have to have this in front of us. You guys all know here at this church, it's important that you read your Bible. But if you go back and look at your last week, did you read your Bible every day? Maybe some of you did. Many of you are like, no, I know I needed to. I needed to pray. I should have done that, but I, I didn't. I couldn't. We need the reminder. And it's good, he says, for us to hear the instruction and for the warning. And he tells us over and over, rejoice in the Lord. Now he goes on here and he says, all right, so speaking of safety and speaking of things that you need to hear, he says in verse two, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now that's kind of a weird couple verses. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about it a, a little bit for you. First off, I have to say this. I'm sorry for you pet lovers. When he's talking about the dogs here, when he's calling people the dogs, it's not a compliment. All right, he's not saying, you know, watch out for the dogs. You know, they might nip at your ankles when you walk in the door. That's not what he's referring to. He's talking about people that are acting like wild animals in the way that they're attacking the Christian message that has been brought to the church. All right, they're the people that are attacking the Christians that are following this new faith, this new religion. And that is going to happen for, for many people, especially at the beginning of the Christian faith, they would have been viewed very skeptically. Like, what are you talking about? You're with that new God thing, that new religion. How is it that you could leave behind your Jewish background? Or how is it that you're leaving behind all the pagan temple worship? You're, you're supposed to be the one who worships Artemis, like all the rest of our family. How dare you go to the Christian faith? And so they would have taken some of that and, and, and began attack, they began attacking others that were, were following Christ. And there will always be those who threaten to mislead those who are, who are following Jesus. Let's face it, there is a, a real devil. And he desires, as the scripture tells us, to steal and to kill and destroy humanity. And he'll use any willing human for that cause. And that's what he's talking about. He says, there's going to be people that attack you like a wild animal. There's going to be people that do all kinds of things to, to destroy what's good and right and beautiful and true. Guys, we just saw it last week in the news. You, you get somebody in Buffalo going up there and killing innocent people. Why? I mean, it's demonic. It's some being, being, someone being so misled with an ideology and darkness that they'd go and slaughter other people for no reason. It's, it's wicked. It's awful. 
And that is part of what is always going to, to, to be in this fallen world. And if it's not through direct violence like that, the devil will use other measures like deceit. He will deceive people. And this is what was happening for that church there in Philippi. Um, in in the, the first century, the, the, the early church that we're studying here, people known as Judaizers, that's what it's usually called too in theology um, classes, you study church history, Judaizers, people that wanted to make others Jewish, okay? Um, they, would, they went around telling Christians, as the, as the church began to be established, they'd tell Christians that they needed to become, Jesus, uh, become Jews and follow all the Jewish laws as well as follow Jesus. So someone would give their lives to the Lord that had no Jewish background at all. They're living in, you know, a Greek city of Philippi. They hear the good news of the gospel. They're like, yes, I want that. I want that salvation. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And so they'd start following after what the apostles had taught them. They'd, they had heard what Paul spoke or, or one of the others. And, and so they begin following Christ. And then along would come this group of religious people usually following right behind the missionary trail with, with these, in these Jewish, with all these Jewish traditions, all the Jewish sacrificial system and all that. And they'd come into the church and say, well, I'm so glad that you met Jesus. Now I need to let you know everything else that you need to understand about Jesus. Not only do you follow Jesus, but your faith in him. It's time for you to start learning the law of Moses. And it's time for you to start learning all of the details of the sacrificial system. And you need to know that you have to do this and you have to go this way. You have to wash your hands this way. You have to dress this way. You have to do this. You have to do that. And they start piling all these things onto these, these new Christians. And it was an attempt to enslave them in that religion. And that's why he's talking here about those who are, want to mutilate the flesh and those that are, uh, who is really of the circumcision or not. Okay, circumcision was the sign of the old covenant, uh, the Mosaic law from Moses. It, it was made to permanently mark the men of Israel. That's what it, its purpose was. But Jesus fulfilled the old covenant and gave us a new covenant. And the sacrificial system that the Jews had always, always known was no longer needed. None of that was needed. It tells us that in Hebrews 10, 14. It says that it was no longer needed because, Hebrews 10, sorry, uh, sorry starting in verse 10, says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest, referring back to the, the old Moses law, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The work of Jesus was perfect and complete. And this is part of the message that Paul was wanting to get to the churches. He was letting, wanting them to know what Jesus did was all that needed to be done. So if somebody comes in here trying to tell you, you need to add this and add this and add that and do this and don't do that. You need to dress this way and you can't dress that way. You need to eat this and don't eat that. He says, forget all that stuff. What Jesus did was all that needed to be done. And so if someone tells you that you need Jesus and anything else, 
They're wrong. Plain and simple, they're wrong. And Paul tells us to look out for those people because they are out there and they can endanger our spiritual health. You know, a lot of people that I've talked to that were raised in in churches, that as they moved into adulthood or whatever and eventually left their faith behind, it's hardly ever a a conversation that I have with someone and and it's actually over something legitimate. Many times it's over the traditions of whatever church they were part of. It was, well, we had to do this and we had to do that and I couldn't go here and I couldn't do that and I wasn't supposed to talk like this or dress like that and it, just, it felt just, ugh, it strangled me. So I just wanted to get away from all that stuff. So I'm getting rid of Jesus and all that. Well, no, you didn't get rid of Jesus. You got rid of all this other garbage that was packed around it and, and handed to you in this, oh, it's a total package. You've got to do all this. That's not faith. That's not Jesus. That's not what we're, we're called to. Now, here's the thing. Um, The other danger that we find today is actually a slightly different approach. You don't see a lot of that now. You don't see a lot of people that are attracted to religion and all that's involved in the religion. You don't see that as often. It's not the message of work a little harder. It's actually the message of, well, don't work so hard. Instead of adding something to Jesus... What we're encouraged to do in the the modern individualistic society that we live in is we're encouraged to live our own lives, forge our own paths, and then add a little Jesus to that. Because then, okay, now you've figured it out. You you do your own thing, you make your way in the world, and then yeah, it's it's probably good and right and you know, to add a little Jesus in that. He's like, you know, the little whip in your frappuccino. He's the cilantro on your sushi you know it's a little little add in there just makes it a little prettier a little better that would have shocked the apostles that wasn't the message that they brought jesus isn't an add-on he's everything what the apostles taught was look jesus is your lord he's your savior and he's your master or you have no part in him he's not just something that you sprinkle in on the side he's not just good seasoning It's him or it's none of him. And in verse four, he's going to push a little farther there. Uh, Back at the end of three, he says, that's why we don't have confidence in the flesh, the things that we pull off. But if you really want to have this argument and have this conversation, Paul says in verse four, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Because remember what's happening is these people were coming along behind Paul and saying, well, we really understand all of the Bible. We've actually studied it really well. This Paul guy that comes and tells you about Jesus, he's probably just not very educated or doesn't know what he's doing. The we, we've got this. And Paul says, uh, hold on. Now I'm going to start off and tell you that part doesn't even matter. But if it did, let me tell you, I've got a better resume than you do. Okay? And, and, as, and, and if you want to know, you know, what was it that, that first century in the first century Jewish circles, what did success look like? It looked like that. What Paul is describing right there. Paul, I've sometimes referred to him, you may remember this. I call Paul the super Jew. (laughs) 
Because that's what he was. He was a super Jew. He was the one, when he rattles off that list, that may not mean much to you. Oh, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah, so whatever. Well, for these people, they're like, ooh, the tribe of Benjamin. That's, you can't get a better tribe than the tribe of Benjamin. You're born into that. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, whoa, blameless in front of the law. For them to hear all that, they were like, ooh, okay, all right. I see what you're saying. If, if Paul was alive today, it's, it's like he would say, you know, I came from the best family heritage. I was born into high level privilege. I was raised in some exclusive neighborhood. I went to the very best preparatory schools. I graduated at the top of my class from an Ivy League college with honors. I was hired by the most prestigious firm. I outperformed all my colleagues and ascended the corporate and social ladders of the elite. It's the kind of thing where you look at the resume and you're like, whoa. That's who this guy is. That's what Paul's, he's saying. But, but notice, notice where he's going to go on here. Notice what, what, what he says there in verse 11, or 7, I'm sorry, 7 to 11. Here's what he says. But whatever gain I had, no matter how good I looked on paper, no matter how impressive that background might be to you, he says, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that's trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul counted every achievement, every opportunity, every advantage and skill as loss. Because in comparison to knowing Jesus, none of that other stuff mattered at all. He said, yes, that was me. I lived there. I did that. I went through all of that. But all that stuff, all that I had acquired, all that I had been given, all the privilege, all the opportunity, all the skill, all of that that I had put together, none of that even comes close to comparing. I consider that as trash and comparing to actually knowing my creator and my savior. That's how I view this this difference here. Knowing Jesus and being with him surpassed everything else in Paul's life. Now that's hard for us to realize, but we're actually invited to that same kind of relationship with, with God. That's what we're invited to. We're all called to go onward in our journey with Jesus and upward toward his kingdom. All right, so put that as the picture in your mind as we look through this. We're called to go onward, but we're also called to go upward. If our faith is in Jesus Christ, he, he describes it here, then our righteousness his, is his righteousness. His righteousness is given to us, and therefore his inheritance, the Bible tells us, is ours. So the same sort of righteousness that Jesus had is the same sort of righteousness that you can have. 
the same inheritance that the Son of God was to receive, he has chosen to share with us. And says the same thing that is, is going to exist for eternity for me, for those of you who are hidden in Christ, it's going to be yours as well. An inheritance of eternal life through the resurrection of the dead. And if that's all true, then you can see why the things of this earth lose their value. They lose a little of their sparkle. When you start thinking about the things that you're investing your life into, the things that you're pursuing after. So for a lot of those Jews that heard Paul and giving that resume, they're like, whoa, that's what I always wanted. If I could have gotten to that, to be able to say that with honesty, I'd I'd be made, I'd have it all together. We have all kinds of things like that in our lives, right? We look around at our neighbors and say, oh, if I could only, if I I have those cars parked in my driveway, if I could only live on in that neighborhood, if I could have that house, if I could have had that education, oh, if I had that opportunity, you know, if that family business had been passed down to me, then this would all be, it's that, it's this, it's, it's whatever. But Paul says, hold on. Do you understand what is offered to you by God? The inheritance that we have that is eternal? If you can imagine that and envision that and chase that, pursue that, the value of what's offered to you makes this other stuff just be like, okay, well, sure. Some of the stuff is nice and good and it's not bad. A lot of that, that stuff, the stuff of earth is good stuff. We all have basic needs. We all do need a place to live. And we, we do need, in our society, we need transportation. We need food and clothing and shelter. Yeah, that's all fine. And not only that, some of the other things are fine too. God made this earth for us to enjoy. Things that provide pleasure, enjoyment, satisfaction, comfort to us. This is all fine. He's not saying, don't ever have any of this and just live, you know. No, no, that, that's all fine and good. But just make sure that you keep the priorities in order. Make sure you understand really what the value of this stuff is. I heard a message this week. I was listening to a, a, a sermon from a pastor. He said, have you, have you thought about this? Think about the things that you have, that you own, that are of most value to your, you in your life. The stuff, you know, think of your baseball card collection or your, I don't know, whatever it is that you have that you're like, oh, this is value. This has value. Do you realize all the stuff we have and we hold on to, it's all going to eventually rust, rot, corrode, be thrown into the landfill, right? I mean, he was using the description of whatever the newest phone is at the time. He was referring to the iPhone 27. And in case you're behind as I am, we're not up to 27 yet. But his point is this. He's like, I don't care if it's iPhone 27. Guess what? When the iPhone 28 comes out, All of a sudden, the iPhone 27 that you dreamed about is not so impressive anymore. And you know what? That stuff's going to be tossed off to the recycle center or whatever. It's all ultimately going to end up in the landfill. This house that you're dreaming about, no matter how well it was built or whatever, give it a few centuries. And what's it going to look like? Where are you even going to be in a few centuries, a few hundred years from now? Right? So so he's saying you've got to keep these things in perspective of where they belong because they're not going to be here forever. But what is offered to us through Christ is eternal. I I had a moment this week, kind of a soul searching moment where I was reading in Acts and my devotions and I was 
reading a, a sermon that Peter had given and, and describing the gospel message. And I was thinking, you know, I, I was just kind of reflecting on what I believe. And, and I realized that sometimes my priorities fall out of line. I, and I'm, I'm like you. We're, we're, we're all people. And, and there's times where I just get off track and, and I'm, I lose sight of the big picture and everything else. But even in that moment, I'm like, but I, I do believe the gospel. I do believe this message. I do, do believe that this is, is true. And, and it's, I think it's an opportunity as we see this here today, as we look about, at this and look at how he, he balanced these things, it's important for us to ask the same question. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's actually of more value for you to know and pursue God in this life than all the other stuff? You've got you've to ask yourself the, the real question today, the hard question today. Do I believe it or do I not? And he goes on in verse 12, and here's what he says about that. He says, now, before you guys all think that I'm perfect and I've got it figured out, he says in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I think it's important for us to recognize that even people like the apostles, the apostle Paul here, they didn't claim to be perfect. We think about the people in the Bible, we read the Bible and and we do, we get it in our mind thinking, wow, those people were perfect. They had it all sorted out. They knew God and they they never made a mistake. No, it's it's not true. Spiritual maturity is an ongoing process. And as we're looking through Philippians and he's he's calling us to grow and calling us to go onward and upward, it's still, we have to recognize it's a process. Back in chapter one, we saw the verse that said, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. He didn't say, I've already completed it and I've already done it. He says, no, you're you're on this process, this journey. Chapter two, he said, it's God who works. That's a present active participle, if you care about that. It's, 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 he's working. He's continuing to work. You're continuing to move. You're continuing to go. Because God has made us his own, we press forward to grow. And like we learned last week also, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So what happens? Sometimes we let our past failures hold us back and keep ourselves from growth. And so look what he says in verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own becoming just like Jesus. But one thing I do, listen to this one thing. It says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing is really critical for our spiritual growth. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to mature in your faith, this thing is important. And what is it? He says, I forget the past and I strain forward to the future. It's the call to move onward. To quote Tom Petty, it's time to move on, time to get going. What lies ahead? I have no way of knowing. I won't go any farther. It's easy for us to get trapped in our pasts and and we get stuck there. It happens to us all the time. And I don't just mean like your mistakes or your sins or ways that you've been hurt or traumatized. Those things can hold us back in our past. We remember back to, oh, I remember when I did this eight years ago or six years ago. Those things I said, that thing I did. We can get caught there and hung up there. But it's not just that. 
Because also our habits and our ways of coping in the world are rooted in our past. We build these, these things, these ways of doing things that get stuck way back there somewhere. And we learn through the Bible that all of us have a shared fallen nature, a sinful nature. But when we're co- we come to Jesus, we're given a new life. But what we find is that some of those old tendencies and those old methods and those old ways of doing things, those old attachments from the old life remain. But you're called to grow. All right, so that's the, the whole gospel message says, come to Jesus, trust in Jesus, and then grow and go and live and be transformed by the gospel in your life. You're called to move beyond. Two things I, I do want to tell you here that I've found useful in my life, and I think that it's helpful sometimes for people to discern um, themselves and understanding how they function in the world. And it's the difference between condemnation and conviction. You might have heard me say this before, but I think it's important in dealing with our past. Condemnation comes from the devil. All right? Condemnation comes from the devil and it leads to death. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation thing that pops up in your head when you're stuck in your past sometimes, remembering, oh man, I am a real loser. How did I do that? Why did I do that? Oh, that person could never forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. I'm always going to stay right here in that spot. That condemnation stuff, that, that's, that's from the devil. Conviction, on the other hand, is from the Holy Spirit. Conv- the Bible tells us that as well, that the Spirit is in the world convicting us of our sins. And conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to death. Conviction leads to life. Now, those, you can have both of those feelings of conviction or condemnation over the same thing. But where you end up is whether or not you're following after God who leads you to life or the devil who leads you to death. When you have something that you regret, let's take for instance, and you look at that thing and you, you, you just get fixated on that and you're bogged down by it and you're pulled down by it, And you just realize, I can't go beyond that. I can never make this right. I can never, it's just down, down, down. It's death. It's leading to death. And you can get hung on that. But the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. I'm calling you to life, abundant life. I'm changing those things. I'm no longer making you stay stuck in this place. And the Holy Spirit comes along with conviction. And the conviction may still say the same thing. Yes, what you did was wrong. It was sin. But there's new life to come. And I want to help you grow and move beyond that and move to the place uh, that, that is good and right. And it's no longer stuck in that place. Do you see the difference? It's important. And he tells us here that we're invited to leave our past failures in the past. We're washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And we're called to press into the growth and life that he has for us. And that's where he says there in that verse where he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. It's an upward call. Our hope reaches beyond this life and this world. We believe in a life to come with new heavens and new earth. And that's what he's describing. It shows us in in 2 Peter 3, this. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. One of the ways that we move forward in our spiritual lives is we keep our eyes on what's to come. And especially when life is hard and life is beating you down and pulling you down, it's especially important that you can keep your eyes on what's beyond. That's why there's so much of that in scripture of giving us a, a vision for that promise of what's beyond. Um, there's, a, there's a book, maybe you guys have heard of them, maybe you saw the movies or whatever, The Chronicles of Narnia, all right, written by C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian author and apologist. And in the very last book, so, so that entire series of books is, is uh, it's, it's loaded with all sorts of Christian imagery and, and it's a, a depiction of, of some of these spiritual truths but told through a story. And in the very last book, uh, that was my favorite series of books when I was a little kid, elementary school, second grader, I'd dig through these books. But the very last book called The Last Battle in that series, uh, he, he describes heaven, all right? And it's, it's described as the new Narnia. And, and it's, it's based on this, this, this idea here of that, that God tells us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And as he's describing this, trying to give, you know, the, the readers an idea of it, he, he describes this onward and upward pull. Okay, I'm going to read you just this little quote from it. And here's how he describes it. So this, this group of people, and if you're, if you're not aware of all these these books, this is going to be weird to you, but there's, there's like all these mythical creatures in there in Narnia, okay? And there's unicorns and centaurs and there's dwarves and all this. It's in this, all right? It's all, it's all fantasy stuff. But this group of people have come to the edge of new Narnia. They've now made it to where, what is ultimately going to be heaven. And here's the way he describes it. He says, the new Narnia was a deeper country, Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If ever you get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed. And then he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. And then look what he says, come further up and further in. It's this vision of what God has for us and then this draw on our soul that says, come further up, come further in. When we see Christ and we know Christ and we start recognizing his work in our lives, we start being healed by him and changed by him. We get a little glimpse of what can be. And we're invited to come closer and deeper in. And that's where the joy is. That's where the peace is. 
that's where all those things, your deepest desires that you really want, that's where they're found. But we have to move in that direction. And our future hope informs our present reality. So as we're wrapping up here, we've got two more verses. My question for you as you think about that is, do you have that hope in front of you? Is that how you're living your life? Is that what you're looking toward? It's a source of joy. And he was pressing toward this goal. Are you? In the last two verses, verses 15 and 16, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What he's saying there is he's saying, look, let God reveal your blind spots. I know that sometimes you hear a sermon and you're like, okay, well, that sounds good, but you don't understand my life. You don't understand what I wrestle with. You don't understand the people at work. You don't understand what's happening in my financial realm. You don't understand what uh, the health issues I have. You don't understand. I don't, I don't, but I, I can only tell you what I see and what scripture teaches us. And what scripture is teaching us here is, hey, if you can have that vision for beyond, it'll pull you out of and above a lot of these other issues that hold you down and hold you back. But what, what do we have to do to be able to see that is we have to make space for God to speak to us. God still speaks to people today, but we've got to listen. We've got to make space to hear him. And maybe today God's spirit is showing you places where you're stuck in your spiritual growth. Maybe instead of hearing an upward call of God, the call, the, the, what you've been hearing is just the downward call of earth. That's usually the louder voice, the things that are happening here right around you right now. And sometimes it's a scream and it's all you can hear. And maybe you've lost sight of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus because you've been staring at worthless things that have captivated your attention. But today, as we worship him, as we reflect on his word, we've got to press onward and upward. Amen? Pray with me, please.